What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I am Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week, and also we are going to be reviewing one older original graphic novel that was requested. What? You should say we're going to review a bunch of comics and then later get in a fight. Oh, yeah, that's probably going to happen. But this has been requested by LeSync on iTunes. What's Uh, up, LeSync? Uh, The book is called Sunstone Volume 1 from Image Comics, and we have been asking folks to do this, to drop us a comment over on the iTunes, leave us a rating, then leave us a comment, request something. It could be something new, could be something old, maybe we've reviewed it before and haven't talked about it in a while. Anything is absolutely fine, and in fact, next week on the show, we're going to be reviewing Oblivion Song, which was a request from Drew Johnson. So there you go. That's how we roll. But if you want to request something, drop it in there. So we'll get to that at the end of the show, end of the show, excuse me, after we talk about all the new comics, kicking it off with Strange, number one from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Marcelo Ferreira. This is kicking off of the death of Doctor Strange storyline, which left Clea as the new Sorcerer Supreme. In this issue, she's grappling with a lot of stuff. Specifically, Doom, of course, wants to be Sorcerer Supreme. She is not the Sorcerer Supreme that Strange was. She is an extreme one that doesn't mind killing people, but she's still having a fun time with some dark dimension stuff. She still appreciates a good coffee. Exactly. But this is the kickoff of a new Sorcerer Supreme, as well as a big surprise return at the end of the issue, which will probably spoil at some point. So if you don't want to know, turn away. But what did you think about this kickoff here? How do you feel about Clea as the new Sorcerer Supreme of Marvel Comics? It's bold. It's a bold issue. I like it. Uh, There's a couple things. First off, I'm a huge Doom head. Love me some Doom. So, yeah. Uh, So it was... Hilarious, but also, like, it was hard for me, like, seeing Doom get dismissed, like, see him kind of get, uh, kind of like, you know, I'm not usually treated like this, I don't know how to act, was enjoyable, but then part of me was like, hey, I... I don't like that my one of my favorite villains was so easily shoved aside. But uh, I creatively, I was enjoying the kind of fresh take on it. Uh, to see somebody else handle such a big villain like that was cool. Uh, but also made me a little kind of like nerdy, shake my fist at the air a little bit. Um, but all that aside, I think this is kind of interesting. To You know, it's always fun to see what people are going to do when they take up a mantle or where they have a job that somebody else had. <coughs> What's going to make them different? What's going to make them, uh, uh, you know, unique from what we've seen before? So, yeah, I think as far as the first issue, this does a great job of setting things up, really kind of drawing a line in the sand of like, this is how this character is different. And uh, yeah, let's roll from here. I really liked it as well. I thought the relationship between Clea and Wong, who is totally wasted slash hung over the entire time because he's yeah. bummed out about Strange dying, was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And the reveal at the end of the issue, here's the spoiler here, is that Thunderstrike, the discount Thor, is back from the dead in a really creepy and alarming way. Yeah. Very interested to see how that's going to play out going forward as well. Like you said, really strong first issue. Lots of fun. Yeah. Next up, another first issue, Batman Killing Time, number one, or Killing Time, however you want to emphasize that. From <laughs> DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by David Marquez. This is a six-issue miniseries where a bunch of villains, specifically Killer Croc, Riddler, 
Penguin, Catwoman team up for a big heist earlier on in Batman's career. So this is not explicitly a tie in with the Batman movie, but it does take place around the same time. So, hey, if you went to see the movie and you want to get something with an early Batman who's getting the crap beat out of him by Killer Croc, here you go. But as usual with the Tom King joint, this is very heavily playing with time and how things are happening. But I I thought this was great. I thought this was such a blast, like Ocean's Eleven set in Gotham City style thriller. Pete, you're very 50-50 about Tom King stuff. Which side of the coin? Mind you, Two-Face hasn't been introduced yet. Oh, but man. which side of the coin do you fall on? Well, for, uh, I, I think this is really awesome. Um, you know, I I think this is really great art and very cool, interesting setup. You have a lot of moving pieces, which is interesting. We kind of get uh, a, a, a great job of like, okay, here is kind of the scope of this thing. Batman's in the middle of this. How is he going to kind of figure this all out? And uh, yeah, I was I was very impressed with it. Um, it's a great first issue, getting you excited for what this is going to uh, you know mean for Batman and how this is all going to unfold. But yeah, I I really loved it and uh, the art really phenomenal. Well, the other thing about this that I'd mentioned is this is such a different mode for Tom King because usually we're used to. The bat and the cat. Well, you're used to these very cerebral playing with structure and mental capacity and delving into the depths of the human soul. And this is just a, I mean, there's more going on, but like for the most part, it's a heist romp. And that's yeah, it. It's kind of like a who's behind this, who's, you know, right. like what kind of chess game is this kind of like make noise over here, but other things are happening in another part. Yeah. Very exciting. Very fun. Next up, what if Miles Morales became Captain America number one for Marvel, written by Kobe Ziegler, art by Paco Mendina? This is actually the kickoff of a new what if series that's going to paint Miles Morales as a bunch of other folks in the Marvel Universe. So a lot more continuity than your regular what if. Pete, you're not a huge fan of the what if TV series, but I believe you said you like the comics. So no, that's that's oh, incorrect. Yeah, you're not a big fan of the TV series, and also not a big fan of the comics. <laughs> what did you think about this? Uh, well, the problem with the what if for me, and you know, I don't mean to put my shit on anybody else, uh, is that you fall in love with these ideas, these characters, and then they you never get to see them again, and it's kind of like, hey, uh, you show me a cool world, an interesting scenario. And now I don't get to enjoy it anymore. So that's the frustrating thing for me. That's why I d- didn't like the comics or the TV series as much. Um, but um, yeah, so it's hard for me to invest in this because it's only a limited time with these characters. But that being said, super creative, amazing art, really great kind of setup for this. Told different enough to make it seem unique. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I actually got more into this once I realized it was an overall plot that was going to be happening over the course of this miniseries. At the beginning, there were almost too many twists to get Miles Morales to be Captain America, where I always appreciated a what if, where it's like, what if this one little thing changed and it snowballed out of control? Like, let's see what these domino repercussions are. But here, it's like, what if these characters were in an entirely different place and situation and different things happened to them? Which, to me, is just too much. 
But the fact that we're going to be following not just this Miles Morales Captain America, but also this plot of what happens over the course of the first issue, the Mahapis, made me much more interested in what's going to happen going forward. But we'll yeah. see. Because uh, yeah. Wahapis is so much better than what if. I agree. One little thing that I'll mention, too much punctuation in the title. There's an ellipsis after what if, there's an ellipsis after Miles Morales, there's the question mark and the exclamation point before the number one. It's a lot going on there. That's all oh, I'm saying. Oh, wow. That's very nitpicky. War. Oh, I'm the nitpicky one. War for <laughs> Earth 3, number one from DC Comics, written by Robbie Thompson and Dennis Hopeless, art by Steve Pugh, Dexter Soy, and Brent Peoples. This is mixing together the mainstream Earth Zero Suicide Squad title with everything that's been going on in Earth 3 and brings Amanda Waller and an army of villains up against the crime syndicate of Earth 3 with big repercussions for both of them. That's going to go back to the Suicide Squad. Having not regularly read both of those books, I would say it was a little bit of a uh, it was there was a little bit of a hump getting into it, I guess, and understanding exactly what was going on there. But a lot of the stuff that happened was pretty badass, and I was pretty excited about where it ended up. How about you, Pete? Well, for for me, some of the tough things about uh, DC Comics is these different earths, all these different kind of things that you have to kind of know to enjoy it. And for me, sometimes I, I just, uh, you know, you know, if I see different uh, villains or heroes from different earths, I don't care about them. I want to get back to the people that I know. So uh, it's hard for me to invest in those storylines. And, you know, Waller being Waller is kind of like, all right, yeah, yeah, all right I, you know, all right, superpower Waller. Right. Um, but I did really enjoy the Suicide Squad moments in the book. I thought that was really great, uh, but great art. Um, but this was a lot of hurdles for me, so maybe not one of my favorites. But I do agree the action was badass. Next up, Avengers Forever, number three from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Aaron Cooter. In this issue, Ghost Rider has been tortured by the Black Skull, who has venomized Red Skull. With Deathlock, the Avengers, or what stands for the Avengers of this broken Earth, are trying to rescue them, leading to some potentially big revelations going forward, as well as a huge huge, uh, I, I don't know if loss is the right word, but things happen at the end that makes things even worse than they were before. Pete, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, uh, Jason Aaron, right, is on this. This is just uh, over the top, just fun, just a crazy, insane uh, twist and turns here, solid art. Um, great to see this kind of like, uh, Ghost Rider insanity. I'm, I'm loving it. Now, my issue is that Marvel has all of these different Earths, you know, and like they have all these different villains on them. And it's such a hurdle for me. It's just like uh, too complicated. Right, Pete? Yep. Great. <laughs> That's fair. It's it, fair. I know. I was holding on fair. to that. I was thinking about when to deploy that exactly, yeah. you know, but it's ultimately fair. I went with the. Uh, I mean, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Hey, and special guest <laughs> Justin Tyler is here. Hello, Justin. How are you? Hello, boys. Great to see you. Great to meet you here in person. Uh, no problem. Thanks for calling in from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. 
Puerto Rico. Now, what do they place. get? Uh, do you get the same comics in Puerto Rico, or do you get different comics in Puerto Rico? What is that? Um, the, <laughs> uh, they are. They're just. What's like, happening sort of is a, I'm asking my friend questions. Yeah, it's a yeah, weird. He's asking questions about something we have in common, Puerto Rico. Uh, the comics are a little moister. There's more of a sea air. There's more of a uh, rum, sort of a scent of rum. Ooh, that's very uh, nice. Well, you got a bag and board. You can't let the sea air get to, the, get to your comics. <laughs> do you uh, know what you do need to let the sea air into, though, is Loaded Bible, Blood of My Blood, <laughs> number one from Image Comics, written by Steve Orlando and Tim Seeley. Great to catch G- up with you guys. Uh, <laughs> see you later. Uh, art by Giuseppe Cafaro. Uh, this is a, a book that we actually talked to Tim Seeley about on our live show, I believe, last week, if I remember time. That's right. That, that, is, that is correct. But this is a old book that Tim Seeley did that basically the way Tim described it, Steve Orlando was like, you got to let me reboot this book. So they're Mm -hmm. kicking off with this and then Steve Orlando is going to take it over. But essentially it's a post-apocalyptic world where a clone of Jesus is fighting against a evil version of the Vatican that is run by uh, Count Dracula. So basically right in Steve Orlando and Tim Seeley's wheelhouse, I would say. Oh, yeah. What did you guys think about this one? Yeah, I mean, this is just crazy over the top fun. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's it, it's those two kind of meeting in in a very fun scenario, and yeah, it's kind of exactly what you would think it would be. It's uh, but the art is is fantastic, and that kind of Vatican on wheels thing is hilariously intense. That's what the Vatican's been needing is wheels. Yeah. Those guys, uh, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, Put it on wheels. When will we have a Transformer Pope? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yes. Uh, there Optimus is more than Pope. meets the eye. <laughs> uh, I, I like this as well. I mean, it is, like you're saying, like these guys got together and made, um, Reeves sort of brought back this o- old thing, and it seemed to like perfectly match uh, both of their brains. Yeah. Yes, very fun stuff. Even if you haven't read the old series, you can jump right in here. Next up, Dark Knights of Steel, number five from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. Here we're dealing with the fallout of what went on in the last issue with Batman and his, I believe, last issue was Batman's origin. Yes, which I thought was a great, great uh, issue. So good. And stuff goes down here in a very surprising and very quick way where a lot of folks start to find out about Batman. There's a big turn involving this world, Superman, and a couple of characters that might be familiar DC Comics fans (laughs) show up by the end. This series (laughs) continues to be great, though. I know I'm making fun a little bit. I'm really enjoying what's going on here. The art is just beautiful in this. It has this sort of storybook. It's like a nice like center point between storybook and and comic book art. And it's it's really we talk about like other series that do something similar, like sixteen oh two from back in the day. And this one I think is just operating at a level above all of those others. Wow, a level I, above sixteen oh two, written by Neil Gaiman, your first and only love. Wow, that's true. That's bold. Uh, cue the clip where um, I interviewed him at Comic Con, and you guys saw actual hearts appear over my head. It's never um, happened before in human history, and this is no. the first time. Don't tell my wife. Uh, yeah, but I, I do think this. I'm enjoying this uh, more than 1602. I think. Wow, uh, that's bold. I, um, I, I, I'm blown away by how well this is going. How fun this is. 
the characterizations are uh, so much more enjoyable than I thought it would be because of the premise of this. I was like, meh, but th- they're really pulling well, this off. What do you do? The premise is meh. Well, like a if, little baby. Like no, a little I just baby kiss and meh. No, it's just like, all right, uh, it's medieval times, Batman, huh? Huh? You excited? No, it's so much. You more love than- medieval Spawn. What are you talking about? You are sure. off exactly. the wall this episode. Whatever. Do you know what? I'm going to just call you out here because Justin came in a little late, but. Pete went off and he's about War for Earth 3, number three, and was like, I just can't get on board with this alternate universe stuff with all these villains coming <laughs> in all this different thing. And then next up, we talked about Avengers Forever. And he's like, that's Jason Aaron, right? Oh, it's great. I love that. Even though that's alternate universe stuff with different villains and stuff. So consistency, that's what we want from our elected yes. officials, Pete. Well, yes, sometimes you, you read something and it hits you differently. I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes you can be like, hey, you're going to you loved all these other wines. Why don't you try this one? And then you spit it out. And you're like, what? Peach. That's ridiculous. And then people are like, well, you love apricot. You love apricot. Why don't you like the peach? I don't know. Sometimes it hits you differently. You know what I mean? Like, think you're, you're not drinking wine. You. You're not drinking wine, sir. Yeah. But if I could get back to my point a little bit. I was having a lot of Farms was way off with his vintage. No. Anyways, yeah. I was having a lot of fun. I with like it. my wine a little bit cooler. Bartles and James, wine coolers. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, anyways, I was having a lot of fun with this up until this issue. Uh, having the twist, spoiler, I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't read it, but the spoiler is uh, Superman's a dick. And I was like, mm, I'm not really on board anymore with this. This is hurting my feelings. But you, the battle, the War for Earth 3 must have been like, oh, I'm sort of in this vibe. Mm-mm. What was Superman being a dick there? Yeah, huh. I, didn't, I didn't enjoy that either. Well, why don't we move on and talk about something maybe we can all agree about. She-Hulk, number two, from Marvel, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Roger Antonio. In this issue, She-Hulk is dealing with the fact that Jack of Hearts showed up at her doorstep. And here's the big twist. He is human now, loves to eat stuff, loves to sleep. And sleep, yeah. And sleep. So, Pete, right in your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. I can relate to this guy. I love it. Well, first off, I'm excited to see what this She-Hulk's going to be all about. It's a um, very cool, well-drawn, fun setup. And, yeah, we're kind of just dealing with, we've all had it, you know, an unwanted guest at our, crashing at our place. So, like, you know, you got to deal with it sometimes. And uh, But it's fun to see them discover food and sleeping for the first time. So, very exciting. This story to me was just like waking up a hungover friend, like in college, <laughs> and be like, "Hey, man, I know you gotta eat, you gotta have some water." And he was like, "I don't know, I don't, I'm fine." And it's like, "No, you do, you do need these things." But and She Hulk was sort of not at all the focus of this. It it really is yeah. sort of a She Hulk Jack of Hearts uh, team up book so far. Which is great with me, but I want a little more going on. Like as there's much another as, issue. Yeah, there's wait, another what? issue. Wait, wait for it. It's no, coming. That's wild. Yeah. I I love this issue. I love Rainbow Rowell, but it's like yeah, it it's like they're giving me these little morsels, and I just want a full meal out of an issue. And I know that's coming. I know yeah. she you're like Jack of Hearts. You're yeah. hungry. Exactly. Well, I, I do. Yeah, so. I love Jack of Hearts. I love She-Hulk as a character. I love Rainbow Rowell. I think the art is great. Um, but I just need a little bit more for the book on a monthly basis. There's just not enough. There needs to be more. Wait for the trade. 
Wait for the trade. There you go. Wow, that's the first time you've ever said that on this show. Rogue Son, number one from yeah. Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel. This is a spinoff of the Radiant Black universe, and I'll give a shout-out to mm. Cherish Chen, who was also on our show last week talking about yeah. Radiant Red that is coming up. Now, this takes place in another universe. This is a different thing. And in this book, a hero called Rogue Son, who we met in the supermassive crossover book, is basically has like sun powers. He dies mm-hmm. and then his powers pass on to his son. His son. Yeah, but not his evil son, son uh, and not maybe uh, his evil daughter. They picked uh, a son that kind of, you know, just showed up. So we barely kind of, as far as like the family is yeah, concerned. But what I think Justin is pointing out is it's his rogue. Son. Son. No, no, it's a different spelling. It's a different spelling. It's S U N. And just think, did you think about You have to think about it while I'm saying it. Let me say it and you think about it, Pete. Son. Yeah, I appreciate maybe you've been drinking some Puerto Rican rum, but it's not, uh, yeah, it's not spelled rum. that way. Rum. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know. Uh, but I, I do think that it, it is the literally the, what the story is about is the rogue son is taking over as rogue son. Uh, we get a nice uh, reveal at the end that maybe he's going to shake that up a little bit. Um, I was intrigued by the people you called the evil uh, children. They seem interesting to me. Pete, oh. any response to that? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kind of startled He's because stunned. I was like, you are they were rogue, clearly you are evil. Stunned. They were clearly evil. I don't know what more you would want. Uh, well, but, one of them was straight up Damian Wayne, who yeah, you exactly. don't like. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I enjoy. I've been you enjoying do? a lot, oh, a lot okay. more. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning um, so much about you. Yeah, but I think also... Uh, well, first off, very triggering that end. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse. I mean, well, there's a lot worse, but I mean that uh, that line that uh, that kind of reveal at the end there that that uh, they, oh that made me go to some un- unpleasant places. But uh, I think this is some really great artwork. Fantastic first issue of setting up this kind of really interesting uh, story and kind of who the character is and what's going on. I thought this was a great first issue. Uh, very excited to keep reading. Justin, other than saying Rogue Son over and over, what did you think about this one? No, I said I said I liked it, and I oh, liked okay. um, right. the um, I liked the other family. Um, I was intrigued by them. Uh, son, <laughs> there you Stop. go. Stop. The Nice House on the Lake, number seven from DC Comics, written by James Tyner IV, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. In this issue, we're dealing with the fallout of the last issue where everybody was starting to figure out what the main alien or whatever is going on with him character was doing. He wiped their minds and reset them, except for one person. And so Mm. that's what we're exploring here. As usual, every issue of this, very creepy, very creative, very focused on what's going on with one of the characters and the relationship with – it's Martin, right? Who's the main character with the glasses, I believe? Uh, Walter? Walter. It's a very similar name. Yep. <laughs> so close. Uh, this um, is super creepy. There's – Tons of twists and turns here. The um, art is unbelievable, um, unbelievably amazing. Um, I, I mean, this is such a like a slow boil of a comic, uh, and it, it's not a burn, metic- a boil, a slow boil. Exactly, 
It's not a burn because that's. You can't look um, at it because it'll take longer to boil. You kind of kind of walk away from it a little bit, you know? That's right. A watch comic never finishes, <laughs> uh, they say. Uh, this, um, but what I was saying is it's so meticulously done. And I, I really appreciate that. And I think we've talked about this, or I've said this before. Like, this feels like such a TV show in the making, like a yeah. great, creepy TV show that I'm ready to watch. Excellent. Now let's move on to one that I think I've been second most excited to talk about this week, just because I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Oh, next. yes. Daredevil, the woman without fear. Number three from Marvel written by Chip Zdarsky art by Rafael de la Torre. Now I'm going to mention some big spoilers here when we get into this. So if you don't want to know, definitely turn away for the next couple of minutes. But in this book, Electra, who is now in the guise of Daredevil is fighting Craven, the hunter who has been hired by the hand over the course of the book, we got a bunch of big things happening. First of all, this takes place seemingly after Devil's Reign number five, which hasn't come out yet. So we find out, according to that, Kingpin has killed Daredevil. Also, there was a character who I thought was Foggy Nelson, but I guess is not Foggy, unless Electra is calling him the wrong name, who betrays her, ultimately. And the big revelation at the end of the issue is the hand is working for none other than Frank Castle, the Punisher. First of all, I'll say, I thought this book was great. As usual, Chip Zdarsky is absolutely killing out of the Daredevil stuff. Lots of continuity things going on here where I was definitely thrown and I needed to check up being like, wait, did I miss Devil's Reign number five? What's going on? But uh, it's fine. That's how comics come out. It's all good. Before we turn to potential freak out here, Justin, what did you think about this book? (laughs) I'm just happy that we're able to see like other lawyers besides Foggy. Like it's a great change. That was the biggest revelation for me is that we're we're finally able to move past Foggy as like a lawyer. Like you don't need. There's you got another lawyer. You know, like sometimes that's what happens. You picking a fight before a fight, motherfucker? Are you serious right now? Don't because come he, after Foggy. You doing, you're, you're looking at me and you're like, he's going he's gonna to punch me with his right hand. You know what I did? Left. Right in the kidney. <laughs> right in the foggy. Got you right in the foggy with a lefty. Um, I mean, I, I really like the, uh, the Daredevil, the, all the different twists and turns that Chip Zdarsky has put um, this cast of characters through. And uh, I really like Elektra in this role. Because she struggles with different things that Matt does, but in a similar way. She's trying to be better for him, which I think is a cool shift in the way Daredevil's always like looking internally and being like mad. And she's looking outward, being like, I have to be good for Matt, especially hearing that Matt's dying. She's like, I'm going to kill the kingpin. And then you get your big pun, your, your, your man big with pun. a new skull painting uh, rolls up. The beast. They call yes. him the beast. Release the beast. All right, first off. Uh, I just wanted to check with you. Did you guys see what Electra was doing with her sigh in this? She's sharpening it. Its sigh is not usually that sharp at the end, at that pointy. It's a blunt kind of instrument. So the like when she's finding out this instrument, she's scraping it against the wall to sharpen the end in such a like rage move that I it just melted my heart. Like I was just so uh, kind of excited about that moment. And uh, yeah, this is the first time I've Wait, ever- real quick, Pete on the side talk. I just want right, to say, right. yeah, let's bring it back to the side uh, before we move on. Mm-hmm. Raphael or Electra, you only get one side wielder 
in your your crew who wow. you bring. Wow. Well, that's hard. I mean, uh, my younger self wouldn't let me say a lecture because, you know, I, I roll TMNT since day one. I mean, that was the comic that drew me in. So I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Otherwise, so you I were, can't. Uh, Master Splinter was your OB, your parents' OBGYN, right? That's he actually right. Caught that's right. You yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've rolled uh, with them from day one. Day one. Yeah. Good um, thing it wasn't Shredder. That'd be awful. Yeah, that'd be tough. <laughs> that'd be tough. It'd be a different kind Terrible of person. doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I am, uh, you know, I didn't usually ship uh, Daredevil and Elektra. Um, and so, like, this is the first time that I'm really believing in this relationship. And it is very moving and very powerful. And then we kind of get the bomb dropped on us at the end of the Punisher being the beast. Um, and... You kind of he you see his chest and the the kind of modifications he's made to his skull. It's uh it's a very interesting move. I'm excited to see how this goes, why he's doing this, like what's everything behind this? And it's gonna kick off with Punisher number one. <laughs> oh yes, please. Uh so uh, this is exciting. It's gonna be cool to see Punisher uh, in a new kind of uh, we've seen him as the cosmic ghost rider and different things. So uh, this will be kind of cool to see uh, uh, what Frank's bringing to this. Huh. Uh, pretty chill. That is, yeah, that is very interesting to me. I remember when they revealed this new skull and we talked about it on the live show. You said it was OK because it was Punisher in the past. It wasn't in the present. So clearly you've changed your mind at this point. Well, I well, I don't know what... <laughs> The time frame is or whatever. I feel like going. I'm really holding you to the fire right now. Yeah, yeah. This show, I, I, I don't know. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just. I, I don't know. Like trying to hold you to the fire. I just. I I'm excited for maybe you know Frank to get a, a different kind of story and to see where this kind of goes for for him uh, or why he would kind of be the the beast. Um, you know. So I guess we'll find you, out. Like, does. The man defined the shirt, or does the shirt define the man? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, wow, man. That's yeah. deep. Yeah. You it's going to be wild. Do you think, how do you think he redesigned the skull? Did he do some sketches, or did he consult with like a branding, uh, like a graphic artist? Graphic yeah, designer? I'm sure he like, you know, put a gun up to a graphic artist's fucking uh, skull. A graphic artist who is like a criminal, though, right? Right, right. He would yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, he he would do that because he's a hero. He would do that to yeah. a, just a regular graphic artist. And yeah. it was like it a was fucked a up named, graphic artist. There was a guy named Macrochip. Yeah, it was Macrochip. Yeah, and Macrochip. Macrochip. Yeah, 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 yeah. The big chips. I love yeah. Macrochips. Uh, <laughs> I always go for the biggest ones. And it, Pete, I know you didn't answer my question before about the different Psy users. Well, mm-hmm. let's throw in Psy, who um, uh, recorded the hit song Gangnam Style. You, <laughs> you get to choose I, one of those Fuck you, three. I did answer it, dude. And Raphael was my choice, you motherfucker, because I can't go back from my day one. It's my day one. You can't go back on your day one, bro. That's, That's the, the reason you literally can. That's called growing up. <laughs> That's literally what you're supposed to do. No, man. No, you Crossover can't. Crossover number 12 from Image Comics by Donnie Cates and Here Robert Kirkman, art by Jeff Shaw. In this issue, we're dealing with a big cliffhanger for the last issue where, uh, to be 
perfectly honest, I didn't actually realize this is what they were revealing the last issue. But it turns out that Negan is the guy who has been killing all comic book artists, including Brian K. Vaughn, at the beginning of the issue. Obviously, spoiler here, but we find this out as he goes to kill Robert Kirkman for everything he's done in a sequence that was either written or co-written by Robert Kirkman. And then the bulk of the issue is revealing Dottie Cates as not the mastermind behind everything, but the guy who is going to try to help the powers folks, as well as our heroes, get the story back on track. So tons of meta stuff going on here. Tons of absolutely wild story choices. Uh, I mentioned this on the live show, but this has definitely become like my number one thing on the stack, just in terms of like a little crazy treat for me to read, you know? Ooh, so you love a crazy treat. I yeah, do. Just because treat. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, who's going to show up here? What's going to happen? And the, by the end of the issue, somebody has a lightsaber. They're coming to like kill Negan. So great stuff. Like, I mean, Donnie that's Cates the only thing that can be in a bat is the lightsaber. Well, Donnie Cates says this, Kind of his character says this halfway through the issue where he's like, oh, shit, the powers dudes are facing down Negan on a baseball diamond. That's so fucking cool. And it's like that to me is at least with this arc, that is the MO behind this book. It's like, what is the stupidest, coolest thing that we can possibly do? And it's completely working for me on that level. This this comic is insane and in all the right comic booky ways. Like it's, uh, I mean, it's meta. There's so many things. You've got to be a nerd for a while to kind of be, know what's happening and the kind of zeitgeist, but man, it is just fun. I, I, I'm constantly surprised by the character choices and all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I was impressed because it's like they were like, this crossover event's going to be so epic or whatever. It's fucking delivering, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Justin. it is. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge meta guy. So when we like have mm-hmm. the, the, art, the author being written into the book and all that, I'm always a little like, ah, it's not my favorite. But I will say this is a completely one of a kind story that we're not going to get anywhere else. And so I appreciate it on that level. And it was a, like the, the theme of like creations encountering their creator and and, uh, dealing with that. I I feel like that's a theme we've been playing with for a couple issues. So I'm curious how that's going to be sort of brought together in the very end. Yeah. The big thing, I, I mean, I'm kind of with you, Justin, just in terms of, I think part of the reason that Donnie put himself on the book is to get past that because everybody would expect the longer that it went on that he was the mastermind behind it because that's kind of how it works. So doing that early gets that out of the way. So I'm kind of excited and interested to see what happens in the next arc once we're past this because ultimately I think it's going to be cool and fun in a similar way. And one last thing, just in terms of like such an in-joke wish fulfillment thing Negan bashing Robert Kirkman's head in, being like, oh shit, two eyeballs, and then ending with the line, this is for Glenn, is just like... Yeah, that's when you were like, yeah, who wrote wild. this? I was like, this feels like Glenn's fanfic, uh, <laughs> because, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was hard enough watching uh, this happen to Glenn. It's kind of crazy to watch it happen to Kirkman, man. It's just, I mean, it's wild. Well, that's why now, I felt like Robert Kirkman was really here. He was the one who was like, look, I'm finally saying this. Yeah, but do you think he really signed off on this or did he somebody wrote re- this? 
Yeah, he uh, wrote it. He wrote the first couple of pages. So yes, he signed off on it. I, I think know. he knows that. He's aware. He is very self-aware about everything that's happened. And I think I really appreciated everything that happened in those first couple of pages because it felt really true to how when we've interviewed Robert Kirkman in the past, how he's felt about this stuff. So I thought he it was very- is super cool. Uh, not only the interview, but I mean, he seems like the coolest. Like, so, of course, he'd be okay with this. Jesus, why don't you just marry him, Pete? One Star Squadron, number four, from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell. Art by Steve Lieber. In this issue, Red Tornado has to fire a bunch of people. Or will he? And that's the big conflict. But as usual, pitch perfect media commentary from Mark Russell. The art from Steve Lieber is super fun. I'm just having a blast reading this book. The expressions is... Steve Lieber is putting on these characters' faces. They're just so fun. Oh, uh, man. It's great surprises. What? You took what I was going to say. I was going to go off about how, like, the range of emotions that we're seeing on the characters' face are just, it's really impressive for a comic book and what they're able to kind of pull off. I wish we had more of a range of opinions on this. <laughs> uh, you know what? I wish we had more of a range of opinions as well. <laughs> Alex, no, <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Uh, All right, this next, is, um, I, oh, yeah. Go ahead, Justin. Where are you going? I was going to say I love uh, Maxwell Lord on the cover, and the, all the stuff happening with Power Girl in this um, comic is very fun to me. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it, there's like a real sadness to it that hurts my heart a little bit, but it's still enjoyable, and that's impressive to pull off. I agree. Next up, Alien number 10 from Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Salvador LaRocca. In this issue, everybody is on the run from the alien who is destroying this religious colony on another planet. Things go from bad to worse, as they predictably do in an alien story in this issue. But how are you feeling about this one so far? Pete, you're you're a big alien fan. I'm an alien head. I mean, and also I'm a, I'm a fan of just carrying a head around in a satchel. You know what I mean? Well, uh, in that case, would you like to see Zeno more huh. or Zeno less? <laughs> hey. Uh, what? what? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like a Xenomorph pump. And it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Ah, Morph. Yeah. Morph. 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 Mighty Morph. Mm-hmm. Uh, Power yeah. Rangers. Go ahead, Pete. Great art. Fun landscapes, like, setups here. It's just... Uh, Aliens are such a like scary ass kind of like it just breaks my heart to see people fucking stumble into it unprepared because it's like you you're gonna lose you're gonna lose so hard. Um, but uh, yeah, this continues to be uh, you know a badass alien telling and uh, continues to be uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, the the tension is there. It hits the all the story beats of an alien story, um, while also uh, not letting us. They feel fresh. It doesn't feel like we're stuck in something. And uh, the, the art is fantastic. And I'm curious, Gross. sort of our main character is uh, our main character is like dying essentially. So I'm curious how that's going to come into conflict with all the xenomorphs. Next up, Noctera, number eight from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel. In this issue, Blacktop Bill, spoiler, makes contact with the being, the thing behind all of the shades in the book, and ultimately joins up with our heroes. So some big revelations here, some big things going down. What would you think about this one? Who saw that coming, that the... uh... 
Black Top yeah. Hill was going to be like, hey, guys, this is fucking crazy. We should team up because uh, this is going to be tough. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when when we kind of had Scott on our show talking about this and he was kind of foaming at the mouth a little bit to talk about all the twists and turns, I was kind of at the He's time. Foaming. Thinking, I was thinking was. like, hey, man, it seems like a kind of a straightforward, okay, it's all, you know, Runs of blackness. We got to have light. You know. Okay. This is what's going to say. And the day. he just back to you said, "It's <laughs> like you have no fucking idea." And so yeah, it's great to be able to kind of see these things that he was kind of biting his uh, lip to, to not to reveal. So I, oh, I'm was very he impressed. Was the <laughs> mouth or was he biting his lip? Which was it? Because you it's can't a, do both. It's a little from column very A. Provocative. Column B. I just think though that. Uh, I'm very impressed with how this story is unfolding, how this is all going down. Um, I did not see a lot of it coming. So this is continues to be very creative and enjoyable arts bananas. Good. So yeah, pretty cool. Uh, I, it's a, it's such a big story that Scott's telling um, sort of, uh, he, he's finding a way to sort of fit it all in, I think in a cool way. And He's been able to in Blacktop Bill has created a really scary villain. If you guys haven't read the um, the origin of Blacktop Bill, which was a one shot that came out, I want to say like two months ago, worth a read and a really great just villain origin story. Monkey Prince number two from DC Comics, written by Gene Lun Yang, art by Bernard Chang. In this issue, our main character is recovering from his having his head cut off oh, by man. Batman. There's some more yeah. twists and turns there. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I am having a lot of fun reading this book. We've got a character who might be a hero, probably a hero, might be a villain, but kind of straddling the line there is finding out about his powers. And they're fun, weird powers. So it's really a blast. There's a fun, goofy tone to it throughout. Yeah, and it's weird because it's like you don't think goofy and then Batman. So like... I was kind of like, how is this going to work? But they're doing it in such a way where it does work. I'm really enjoying seeing this kind of magical character interact with Batman. And this kind of like pig guy is super hysterical and a lot of fun. I'm enjoying how original this is. Well, and I talk a lot about like I want new characters, and uh, like we don't need to keep adding to. And the plus, you're the monkey of, prince like, of the show. Thank you, um, <laughs> thank you. I've always said that. Um, I think uh, what I was going to say is like this character feels like um, a new Spider-Man, a new mm-hmm. type of. Uh, if you like Spider-Man, you can get on board with a new character and find new characters, new adventures that this character can go on that sort of uh, reflect the same. Uh, type of hero as uh, Spider-Man. Uh, well, I should also mention, I don't know if we talked about it enough, but the art is also great. Great stuff. Newber number four from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jacob Phillips. In this issue, our main character has been recruited by the cops to solve a mystery, which is bad news for him because he is actually working for all six crime families in New York, and they're not going to oh, take a liking to man. it. As usual it's with this book. It's a tricky spot. Well, this is a nice, tricky mystery is what's going on here. And they're doing a really good job of doing these done-in-one mysteries every issue that nonetheless spill forward into the next issue and presumably going forward into the entire arc and series. Uh, Great stuff. 
Yeah, fuck old burn. New burn is where it's at. This is uh, seriously enjoyable. Uh, love the kind of noir of it all. Um, uh, art is unbelievable. Really great storytelling. This is great image book. Uh, fuck old burn. Uh, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, but yes, I agree. This is a, this is a fun book. Um, and I, I think this partnership between our two main characters. Detective Comics number 1055 from DC Comics written by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg. Art by Aman K. Nulpen and Fernando Blanco. In the front part of the story, finally the inmates have taken over Arkham Asylum. They have thrown Dr. Ware out the window. So we have looped back to the in media res that we had at the beginning of this arc. And the yes. bat team is basically dieharding it in the building, or at least Nightwing and Huntress are as they try to stop everybody and get the building back. Meanwhile, in the back matter, we have jumped forward a bunch of years as our main character is now thrust into the middle of oh, no man. man's land, just jumping from Gotham event to Gotham event, this kid, and things just keep getting worse for him. Or do they? They seem to turn around, potentially, at the end of this issue. Pete, mm. you're losing it right now. Talk to me. This comic is fucking badass. I don't know what's better, the backup of the main one. It's the art's unbelievable. The story's insane. This is some fucking great DC comic action right here. Uh, the the backup, the kid, it's, it's breaking my fucking heart. It's giving me hope. I'm all over the place. Um, the, yeah, the twists and turns of, of, of this team trying to, uh, keep this building from, you know, just, uh, you know, completely, uh, you know, releasing all of these mad people all over the place. It's, it's intense and great in all the right ways. It's really good. And I love, we get it so frequently. It's not like we're waiting at all. We just keep getting new issues and it fucking wait. Every week, it has like it's like towering inferno, die hard. I think he said, like it has that pace and propulsion in the backup. I'm curious, where do you think we're going with this backup? Is this kid gonna be like he, when we catch up to the present day? He's gonna be old. Is he gonna be a villain? Is he gonna be? I mean, I think that's, be the essential, that's the essential question of the book, right? But I do. I think there's two ways this can go, right? The one way is. He realizes, no, I'm going to leave Gotham. And he either leaves there at a body bag or literally walks out of Gotham and goes Mm. and is – lives the rest of his life in peace. Or more likely and perhaps more excitingly, we do end up in a place where he is straddling this line between the good and evil in Gotham and ultimately gets wrapped into the mainstream books in some way. Potentially, Matthew Rosenberg is doing a lot of stuff in D.C., uh, we could see him in some sort of arc going forward where he is in the present day. He is getting older, but ultimately with the pace that comics go, he could just be an adult by the present mm-hmm. time. And that would be absolutely mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know if this guy's going to be the next red hood or if he's going to end up uh, being somebody on the good side somewhere, but it's back and forth every issue. So it's, it's, they're doing such a great job. And it reminds me of the old detective comics that 
uh, Scott Snyder was writing were the back, uh, you know, we're getting these just kind of like heart wrenching stories about people and their lives and the trials and tribulations that we're going through. So I, it's really fantastic. Well, and it's interesting. This is just a verbal thing this reminded me of, but that you mentioned Red Hood, because this does feel like it potentially could be like what Brian K. Vaughan's Hood series was back in the day where you had the same thing with mm. Parker Robbins being like, is he good? Is he evil? What's going on with him? What's going to happen? And ultimately, I mean, arguable how he was used going forward, but maybe this is Matthew Rosenberg doing the same thing, Argue, setting somebody up. He just uh, – the hood, wasn't he in the the strange mm-hmm. issue that um, you yep. guys talked about without me? So, like, he's still around. Yeah, there you go. All right, last but certainly not least, as mentioned, this was requested by LeSync on iTunes. And if you have a request for us, an OGN, a graphic novel, something that's new, something an extra old, graphic novel. Yeah, something like that. Just hit us up. Uh, we appreciate any and all requests. This one is Sunstone Volume 1 from Image Comics, written by, I'm definitely going to mispronounce his name, as I always do, but Stefan Sepek uh, Sejic perhaps. Uh, I apologize Mm. for absolutely mangling this. Uh, But this is a book that I read and I was like, you know what? This is right in Pete's wheelhouse because it is about two people who are super into BDSM. They're a little nervous about each other, but ultimately one's Dom, one's a sub. They find each other. And over the course of the first volume, which you can actually get free online, and that I believe the rest of the volumes are available for purchase, they start to start up a flirtation and fall in love. LeSync specifically called out saying it was one of the greatest love stories they had ever read. So, Pete, first of all, I just want to mention to you, you talk a lot about the subway test. So I thought about that a lot while I was reading the book, and I tried what you've suggested, which is that I printed out all the pages of this, and I walked up and down the subway handing it out to people, and they all loved it. <laughs> So yeah, thank you I'm for sure the suggestion. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Pete. That was a great it one. It fails the subway test hard. Yes. This is – Well, let me throw this out there. Let me throw this out there, guys, because I agree with you. The subway test is something we talk about a lot. I uh, recently uh, flew. Uh, well, I, while I was flying, naturally, I'm like, how can I pass the time? Let me read some good old-fashioned comics. Oh, books. boy. And the thing <laughs> about the airplane test is it's much harder because uh, Subway, it's like, ah, they saw me reading this slightly pornographic comic. I'll just get off. <laughs> airplane? No dice. <laughs> you are right. on the ride. Yeah. And there's people and behind there's a lot you of who can see if you're on every, an every aisle seat. Yeah, yeah. You got to be. There are authority figures walking up and down the aisle being like, hey, don't do that. Or, hey, sir, you sir can do that. please uh, put that away. <laughs> so um, that was intense. So I was like, oh, a sex scene? No problem. I'll just read it. And then, oh, okay. Oh, boy. Oh, still more. It's a very, it's a lot of sex. A <laughs> oh, lot of sexy. But all, all 80 pages? All right. Oh, uh, but let me say, though, like, I really like this book, and I do think I appreciate the the comment, A Greatest Love Story. And specifically, comics don't tre- don't deal with sex very well because it's often used as just like a little salacious panel uh, or it's something where it's like exploitative. And in this book, it felt like truly the – the withholding of sex between two people who really want to have sex with each other, the way it was just you weaved into the narrative, I thought was super effective and just a great portrayal of the anticipation of sex in comics that I haven't really seen before. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah. And the other thing that I'll mention is just in terms of like reading a BTSM comic that 
they are very blunt and straightforward about and not like from the jump. 100% where they're like, this is what this is about. This is what it's going to be. We're going to show this. This is going to happen was uh, I appreciated the honesty there. This is not a world that I know anything about and I'm not necessarily inclined to find out more about it going forward. But at the same time, the level of knowledge and straightforwardness in terms of the writing I thought was good. I do think the main characters, they clearly seem at the very beginning of their journey here, but there is a chemistry between them that comes across in the art and the writing that I thought was very sweet. Um, yeah, uh, it's not something that is not for adults. There is nudity. There's not hardcore sex, but there's like pretty relatively graphic sex going on throughout it. Pete. Yeah, you know what's happening. Yeah, you, you know what's up. What are we doing, guys? All right. Uh, <laughs> what? I mean, what are we doing? Uh, you know, because here's the thing. Hey, you know, uh, everybody's got their deal. You know, God bless. Do what you want to do. Be into what what you want. But I don't want to. It was written by a dude and it's got very attractive uh, women in it, you know, and I, I, you know, like. I don't want to be contributing to something bad. You know what I mean? As far as like. You know, over sexualization of women, or you know, they the you know females and what's appropriate, what's you know, you know what I mean? Because it's like comics already have a bad rep for this of over sexualizing, making these people have incredible bodies that you can't get in real life, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like I, I don't want to, I don't want to jump in here, but the second character with red hair, I have the same exact body. But go ahead, Pete, you, you fucking wish. <laughs> Um, wow! Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of right. a lot of stuff on the table right now, boys. A lot of stuff on the table right yeah, now. So but let, let me say, I, I I hear your your worry, and I do think the art is like is not. I wouldn't say it's hyper sexualized across the board, but these are sort of like idealized bodies. I think you could say uh, that some some people would call them idealized bodies, and I do think like I think that's fair, but I also think this isn't exploiting it's not like look at this it it is a story about this and i don't think we should shy away from topics any topic that someone wants to write the story about the other thing that i'd throw out there and i also i completely understand what you're saying pete and mind you we are three men talking about this so if anybody listening to the podcast disagrees would love to hear your opinion and would love to hear a more learned opinion on this. But the impression that I got off of here are these are two characters who understand their sexuality or exploring their sexuality. And I didn't necessarily feel like it was wholly for the titillation of the reader necessarily. It was more about them being in control because as far as I understand it, that is what BDSM is about. So it is about them Figuring out the relationship. I appreciate it. There's the scene and maybe this is something in the BDSM community that I don't know. I'm sure there's like a couple of people out there that are laughing hysterically at us because we don't know what we're talking about. But there's an idea where they're talking about like after they go through the sexual experience, they take a shower and they're just very loving with each other. And there's something about that. I don't think that scene was necessarily exploitative. It was more about like 
hey man, if you are a person who don't know anything about this scene, yeah, yeah, this sure, is sure, not yeah. What it's all I about. mean, sure, yeah. I mean, they take the time to have a safe word. They talk about trust. They, you know, give consent. All very important things. But at the end of the day, it's still a dude writing. You know, uh, uh, a story about two very attractive women having constant sex with each other, and it's full nudity. <laughs> so it's hard to, and it's an amazing love story, and there's all these other things. It's more complicated than that. It's fun to see, as Justin is saying, the characters kind of go through the nerves and, and the kind of things that people have when they're starting a new relationship and all that kind of stuff. So it is very layered, but it is... Uh, but it also is that, you know, so I don't want to hold it up for something as well as not acknowledge for what it is as well. Let me ask you this, Pete. If you didn't know the uh, who wrote this or the, if you didn't know that it was a guy that wrote it, would that change your understanding of it? Uh, it would make me feel a little less skeevy about it. What about if the last page said to be continued in Punisher number one? <laughs> I'd be like, I got to see how they tie this shit in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, thank you so much for recommending this book. We appreciate it very much. And if you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes and Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next week, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Love.